Welcome to the Show Me Two podcast. I'm Zach Walhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Jacob Puckett, Coriana Beyer, and David Stokes from the Show Me Institute. David, there's a lot of talk about a multi-million dollar expansion to the St. Louis Convention Center. What's the latest? Well, the latest is the county council. Uh, I believe they held it again this week uh, as they consider whether or not to move forward with a $210 million expansion, whether to move forward with their half of that $210 million expansion of the America Center uh, Convention Center downtown. Uh, I think it's a good time to be holding back on this as we try to see what changes to the convention industry happen thanks to COVID. I read a, a very good article written just a month or so ago about long-term changes in conventions, and somebody in the industry was pr- saying that they really expect future large conventions to, to be much more of a hybrid model and not not nearly as many of the huge conventions that we've grown to know over the past several decades as more and more people just save the money and do it virtually. And I, I really don't know if St. Louis really needs a much larger convention center now sitting next to a football stadium without a football team that's completely, un, completely unused. And it also brings to mind that while the Dome itself, the TWA Dome, Edward Jones Dome, Empty Dome, whatever we want to call it, Cronkyville. While that is paid off, the city and the county each have, for a few more years, a $4 million a year commitment to up for, for upkeep and maintenance. And it remains to be seen whether they're going to renew that in, in about three years when that comes up. So there's a lot of questions as to what to do with it. Bob Clark from Clayco has now has recently come out with a giant proposal to completely redo the convention center and the dome and that area north of downtown. Uh, I think it's about an $800 million project. Uh, interesting to read about. It seems unlikely to get any traction from from everything we've been reading. It's, it's certainly intriguing, but I don't know if that's where we need to be going in the post-COVID environment either. So I like the idea of the city board of aldermen and in particular the county council, since they're the ones delaying it right now, holding back on it for another six months to a year to try and see where the convention industry is going. So we know from the recent uh, census data that the city of St. Louis losing population. Um, do you think we're transitioning in St. Louis, maybe uh, all urban areas, from this live, work, play mantra that we had over the last decade to a come spend leave and would a convention center kind of lean into that you get people coming in from out of town spend their money and then uh get out of here well look i hope the convention industry comes back full bore uh coriana and i just came we were at a convention last week and admittedly there was very little of the virtual or hybrid participation at that convention it was almost entirely in person, and we'll talk more about that later. But I'll also say that while it was a fairly large convention and lots of fun, it was not the type of humongous convention you need a convention center for. So this is, it's not the type of big thing that that the downtown convention center plan, used to have a lot of and plans to have many more in the future. And again, I just, I just don't know if if the industry is coming back to the point that an expansion is necessary. And as for, as for the live, work, play model of, of the city of St. Louis and, and downtown areas, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to know what the future holds for downtown St. Louis. I know I lived there for three years, sort of in the early stages of the loft movement 
in the late 90s, 2000, 2001. Uh, I loved it. Uh, to see the crime happening in downtown St. Louis right now, Post-Dispatch just today is a big story on many businesses really seriously looking to leave because they're just they're not going to deal with the crime. So until you get a handle on the crime in downtown St. Louis, all these dreams of downtown sort of becoming a living area, first and foremost, a place to... For the basically for the courts, some law firms, <laughs> restaurants, the sports teams, bars, and people living there. I mean, I think there was a lot of vision that a lot of people lived downtown, and uh, having done it for a while, I loved it. But if you don't get control of the crime, that's just never going to happen. And will conventions locate to a city that's consistently one of the murder capitals of, of America? You know, that remains to be seen as well. Coriana, what do you think? Um, well, I had a question because I'm not a long-term St. Louisan, so I have no deep-seated um, hatred for the NFL like most people do here. Um, but has this area, this convention center and the um, stadium, has it been like a taxpayer dollar pit where we don't need to like keep putting things into it? Or has it been – is this just something we're trying to like patch up and get over this wound of the NFL? Well, I, the most important correction is that I don't hate the NFL. I, I, I may hate Stan Kroenke and him taking the Rams, but I love the NFL and can't wait to watch some of the Cowboys, Cowboys-Bucks game tonight, kickoff in the NFL. So, with that more, most important correction added, no, the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Show Me Institute has written about how Washington Avenue, the, all the stretch in St. Louis has been – is if not the most heavily subsidized part of Missouri, right at the very top for the number of tax credits of all types over the past 20 to 25 years. And when you throw in the Edward Jones Dome and this enormous subsidies, the enormous subsidies we gave to the Rams to move here in, in 1995, and basically just giving away the, the, whole, the whole farm to the ownership of the Rams at that time, uh, and then you add in all the tax credits, historic tax credits, low-income tax credits, many, many others that have funded the expansion of the north and northwest downtown area. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a fun area. I like it. I love the restaurants. I love it all. But it is enormously subsidized by the taxpayers. And again, if they don't get a hold of the crime, it's, it's, gonna, it's not going to last. Yeah, so I wanted in the Post-Dispatch article uh, about the expansion, there's a couple quotes. One from an alderman says, uh, if this is a bigger plan, a better plan that gives us even more of a world-class facility that helps us attract more conventions and compete with our peer cities, and it's great from downtown, I'll take a look at the plan. Another quote from the CEO of a hospitality management company said the expansion would still fall short to compete with cities like Nashville and Indianapolis. What do you think it's going to take to shake St. Louis from this, in my opinion, fever dream that we're in, that we're just one big project, one Ferris wheel, soccer stadium, convention center, away from being in league with the Nashvilles and the Indianapolises and whatever well, other city. Exactly, because that's in. what that one developer is, is getting to with that line. If we just do this new convention center, then we'll be up there with Nashville, or we'll be we'll be 
Paris between the wars. You know, it'd be the heaven on earth if we get just get one next big project. And that's the flawed thinking of, of economic development all around the country, and certainly in St. Louis, this idea. I mean, you go back to St. Louis Center was going to revi- revitalize downtown, and it was popular for about six months in 1981, and then it started to, started to decline. Uh, it's not one big project. It's, it's individual people, entrepreneurs and residents, building their neighborhoods one, one house or one business at a time, like you've seen in Soulard or Lafayette Square or Benton Park or Old North St. Louis or so much of the Central West End. Those are the parts of St. Louis that are succeeding, and it's not because there's one big, giant, heavily tax-subsidized pro- project. It's individual people investing in their own communities. And to be fair... Those Soulard and Lafayette Square, the West End and the other neighborhoods, there is absolutely a tax incentive component to that. Like they've been very successful and there have been, you know, historic tax credits and other tax credits in part of that. I'd be I'd be deluding myself if I denied that those incentives had played a role in those successes. But it was more successful done one small project at a time based by individual people, individual businesses, believing in their communities and themselves, not this idea that one big government-subsidized project is going to save the city. So that's what we have to get away from in St. Louis. And I don't care if we have to follow, try to follow Nashville or Indianapolis. I love Nashville. I'm going there next month for a Mizzou game. Uh, I can't wait to. But we don't have to try to chase another city. We can... We've got our own two and a half million people metropolitan area, and we need to build that in in the way that we've, we need to do a lot of things different, but we don't have to chase these heavily tax-subsidized dreams of other cities. Before we move on, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction that you will in no way be held accountable for, so the stakes are extremely low. Uh, the Convention Center project is supposed to be completed by 2023, 2023-2024, is the Dome downtown still standing, or has it been bulldozed? I, I don't think it will be bulldozed. That, that would be a, that, that would be, that would be a, a sight to behold. So I, do not, I will predict that the Dome downtown will not be bulldozed. I have no idea what they're going to do with it. I'd love to see more high school games held, held there. I'd love to see Mizzou and Illinois. If we're going to dream, I'd love to see Mizzou and Illinois playing an annual game there. Uh, if, if you're going to let me dream here. But no, I do not think it will be bulldozed, nor do I think the convention center expansion project will be done in, in 2023. All right. One thing that we didn't mention that maybe possibly could bring the city of St. Louis back to prominence is a trolley. It would be <laughs> Theoretically, it would be short in a uh, popular part of uh, the um, metro area. Well, actually, we have one of those things. It's called Loop Trolley, and we've spent a bunch of money on it, and we're asking they're asking for more money. Jacob, what's the latest? Well, speaking of questionable ideas with taxpayer money, the Loop Trolley is asking for another $1.3 million in federal money to restart the trolley four days a week with, get this, free service. And just for a a quick rundown of the very short history of the trolley, it was open for 13 months before closing down at the end of 2019 due to a lack of money. Neither the ridership nor the ticket sales hit even 10% of their expectations. And so far, there's been $51 million from taxpayers that have been spent on this. So it's, it's rather crazy to think that 
Well, if we spend $52 million overall, that'll get us there with this new $1.3 million ask when $51 has gotten you a gigantic biking obstacle down Del Mar Avenue uh, in the loop. So we've heard several justifications for the continuing pursuit of this project. I understand that projects can have multiple benefits, but uh, we've heard that it would be uh, a novelty. It'd be a tourist attraction. It'll bring people down into the loop. We've heard that uh, it'll be a of great utility, right? It'll it'll bring people from the history museum down to the shops. People can park. You don't have to worry about your car. It'll be great. And now a document from the East West Gateway says that it has the trolley project has scored well on possible greenhouse gas uh, reduction measures. Now it's going to be a green infrastructure project. <laughs> it's going to so. Is the summation of all this that we're just too far down this road? You have a piece up at showmeinsuit.org, the loop trolley and sunk cost fallacy. Is that really where we are? People are just kind of grasping at all the straws now because the truth is we're way too far down the road to turn back now? Well, I'll, I'll throw another one in that list of possible benefits. They're pitching it as a congestion relief project. Sure, why not? Which, as anyone who's driven down Del Mar with the trolley running knows, it is anything but a relief to congestion. Uh they they would expect people to drive all the way down uh, to the edge of the loop, get out of their cars, get on their trolley, which apparently would be running on electricity, most likely generated by coal, so you're just moving the emissions elsewhere, and then only use the trolley uh, to get around in the loop, which, as people have shown for 13 months, they just don't want to do. And And yes, this is basically a perfect example of the sunk cost fallacy, where you've put time and you've put money into something and you're only deciding to keep doing it just because you've done it in the past. It's like buying a ticket to go to a movie that turns out to be terrible after 10 minutes. Just because you stay for the whole movie because you bought the ticket isn't going to make that movie better. And unfortunately, that looks exactly like what we're doing with the trolley. A comment and a a question. So comment is that in... It's my understanding that, you know, they're asking for $1.3 million in, in federal money from East West Gateway, and they're matching it with $500 million. As I saw an interview with somebody where it was... 500000 like, 500000 I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> 500000 And it was instead like the 500000 was, you know, the the loop trolley's money, but that's 500000 in tax money as, as well. Like, it's all tax money. There's no... It's crazy that there's no fair ridership at all and they're just going to make it free and look i guess if you're only c- collecting $22,000 a year you might as well make it free but it's really just an argument to not that it's just useless but what would what should they they do with it like it's out like what what is the the option you've looked at this pretty pretty carefully what what is the best option for it, if anything or should they just tear up the tracks and, so that they don't kill somebody on a bicycle on a bicycle <laughs> and just admit it was a failure and move on well the main thing at this point that it looks like they haven't put a lot of effort into is finding some private investor who wants to front the money for this because they think it's a good idea maybe there's some investor who really does think it'll help boost uh, tourism or possible convention attendance here in St. Louis. You know, if so, where are they? The tracks are there. The cars exist. 
know, the money can be put toward it if they think it's a good idea. But instead, what the backers of the trolley are doing are trying to make taxpayers the investors, not an actual investor the investor. So if, if there was one thing that they should be focusing on, uh, I would think that should be up at the top of their list. So last week, some of you were at the State Policy Network annual conference in uh, Orlando, Florida. Coriana, what were some of the things that were talked about? Yeah, so um, David and I were at that conference along with some of our other colleagues, and we talked about a lot of different um, policy topics, um, some that we talked about specifically, some that are not really our areas of expertise. Um, but I want to kind of go through some of these, and I've kind of made a hot or not, if you will, of policy ideas. And so then we can talk about whether we think that these policy ideas will be a topic of interest in Missouri in this next legislative session, or whether we think it's something that's like not really an issue for our state, or we think that our legislators are just going to pass by at least for this year. Um, so first, we have property tax reform. Well, I, I don't think we're going to have major changes to our property tax system in, in Missouri. But certainly this year when people get their bills in about almost exactly a month and a half to two months from now with their housing values increased and and hopefully, presumably, the tax rate rollbacks will offset a lot of that increase. But if your house went up more than average and they roll those rates back based on the average, you're going to, you might get a really large tax increase. So there's going to be a lot of talk about property taxes and our assessment system here coming up. I wouldn't see major changes to it. It's, it's in the state constitution and certainly difficult to change. As I've said many times, the most important change we need to make to property taxes in Missouri is to remove the exemption for the Kansas City School District that exempts them from rolling back their tax rates when assessments go up. So if, if these large assessment increases and and in Kansas City School District, large tax increases related to that. Hopefully, this will be the second cycle in a row that happens. And I would love to see some real movement to that to get that change made. Okay, next we have occupational licensing. Um, that's something that I work on. So while I would love to see something happen, I feel like this is going to be kind of a not uh, year for us. We did the occupational licensing reciprocity in 2020. So I feel like the issue is kind of cooled off a little bit. Um, while I would like to see maybe like some sunsets on our occupational licenses, I don't really think um, we're going to see much. Hopefully I'll be wrong though. Um, and I'm realizing that I forgot to lead off my prior answer with a hot or a not. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not used to this. I need to, any more flashbacks to college to, uh, to remember how this stuff is supposed to be done. So I'll say property taxes are, 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 not, but they'll still, there'll be some interest. All right, so we've got two nots right now. Uh, next is criminal justice reform. It's not an area we work on all that often, but it's been talked about a lot kind of across the nation. Anyone have any thoughts? Oh, yeah, I say that'll still be hot next year in the session. And, and not only the question of more that needs to be done, but also in areas like where, is, where are changes going too far? Like defunding the police in in Kansas City, and I won't use the term defunding quite yet in the city of St. Louis, but some of the some of the reductions in police funding that were were made, and and the changes to the jail uh, with the city workhouse sending a bunch of prisoners, some of them convicted criminals, some of whom just awaiting trial, 
uh, to the city jail only to find out that the locks in the jail didn't work. So they had to then send him back to the workhouse. So I think there's a lot of criminal justice that will come up in next year's session, both needed reforms and also pushback against some more of the more progressive views on it. I agree. So we've got two knots, one hot. Unemployment insurance reform. That's something that one of our colleagues, Aaron Hedlund, has talked a lot about, um, specifically regarding upgrading the state's IT system. Hopefully that can be hot because the state's got a lot of stimulus money coming in and they can use some of that to upgrade the IT system so we can have a more, I guess, accurately functioning UI system uh, to keep the UI trust fund running. So hopefully hot. Yeah, I do a little bit of work on that also. And while I want those reforms to happen, I kind of feel like everyone just wants to stop thinking about unemployment and get back to everyone working. So if we can just keep unemployment like out of the conversation, I feel like everyone will be happier. So even though I want those reforms to happen, I'm not sure that they will this year. So before we move on, are are we about to see are we living in an actual experiment of this policy i think the federal uh enhanced unemployment ended earlier this month right it's middle of september uh missouri ended our enhanced unemployment benefit the state part in june or july sometime midsummer i think so in a few months a year we'll have a lot of data about kind of that line the uh unemployment laffer curve um how much it impacts uh, people um, going back to, to work. So is that overly simplistic or do you think we're going to look back in six months, 12 months, and we're actually going to have some usable data on uh, unemployment insurance and its impact on uh, labor? Well, that's one of the reasons why I don't think we'll get movement right now is because it does take those like six, 12 or 18 months to be able to really see what happened and the effects of what we've done. And I mean, so Aaron has talked about how the systems are so flawed and we have people who are getting unemployment when they shouldn't be and things like that. So, I mean, if we can get data that tells us how many people have been getting it when they shouldn't, the sort of fraud and the mistakes within the system, that will be great data. Um, Any data we get about people who how, like how many unemployed people we have, how many people are receiving benefits, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt, given that a lot of this happens like pen to paper. And our system is so outdated that it's really difficult to track those sorts of things. But we are kind of living in an experiment where we can see what happens in a few months. And I'll, you know, Mike, I absolutely believe that our the in the, in the recession slash depression from COVID, we needed to do certain things for the incredible unemployment spike we saw in 2020. But I, I do absolutely believe that those generous unemployment benefits were kept on too long at the state and national level. I'm glad that Governor Parson cut the Missouri benefits when he, when he did. It probably should have been even reduced earlier. And I, ab- I absolutely think that one of the reasons we have so many job openings around this country right now is is those unemployment benefits were kept so high for, for so long. And it'll be interesting to see now that they're fading out around the country, being phased out properly, it'll be interesting how fast this changes. Because there's a lot of studies that people do wait till the end of, of unemployment insurance before they fi- find a job. That's, those states go back to prior recessions and, and depressions as well. Okay, next is mask and vaccine mandates. Do you think the legislature will do anything about that or kind of keep the hands-off approach that we kind of saw throughout the pandemic? 
Well, I think they tried to uh, prohibit municipalities from closing businesses indefinitely or, or putting some type of capacity restriction indefinitely. And since St. Louis's mandate, St. Louis County's mandate is still tied up in the court system, I would think someone would have to start the ball rolling uh, on some type of action with that. I agree. I think people are upset about it. And so something is going to have to happen. I'm not sure if we'll be able to like get real like legislation to be passed, but I think it will be a topic of conversation for sure. So hot. So hot. Yes, yes hot. <laughs> Um, next is critical race theory. I know this is not what we work on. We have a colleague who works on this issue, so it's not really ours to talk about, but anyone have any thoughts? Well, definitely going to keep being hot. Uh, there's a lot of parents out there very, very concerned about what's being taught in their kids' social studies classes, or, or even worse, what's being taught in their math classes. <laughs> like, let's just taught every, everywhere as, we, as people... Uh, change it and I have no doubt that that you know you see these videos on TikTok or Twitter and I'm sure they find a few extreme examples and but on the whole I think there's a lot of this this critical race theory being taught in Missouri schools and I think parents have every right to be concerned about it and I think it's going to be an area of great interest for some time to come and Patrick Ishmael as you, you said is doing great work on it for Show Me Institute. David I have a question for you based on what you said are you on TikTok? No. no. <laughs> not not. My, my answer is Nick Knock. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that parents are kind of forced to take more of a role in their kids' education this year. And so it's no longer that you just have a few hours of free babysitting um, in the middle of the day. You kind of care about what your kids are learning. So what, whether it's critical race theory or anything like that, I think parents are a lot more involved. So we'll see that. Um, okay, our last one is health care. What are we going to do about health care? I know we need Elias to pull us down Elias. here. <laughs> um, well, we have the whole Medicaid expansion issue, obviously, So, and that's kind of tied up. So I'm not really sure that the legislature can do much um, with where that is right now. I think it's going to be a lot of talk, but I'm not sure they'll be able to do much of anything. Well, I think the issue will be hot in the the session and and keep on people's minds. Like, how are we going? Medicaid expansion is is here, so it, it appears to me. And Elias has done great work. You can see it at showmeinstitute.org. You know, the legislature can. It's going to be funded. Medicaid expansion is going to be funded. The legislature can choose to find ways to fund it, or they can fund it out of current money and cut other cut other programs. So it's just that's gonna remains to be seen how it's going to be done. And so the interesting thing, to, are there some taxes that should be raised, such as cigarette taxes or alcohol taxes, to, to fund a portion of Medicaid expansion? Or should it be done with just cuts to no tax increases at all and just cut other programs? I think it's going to be a big issue for the legislature next year. Awesome. That's all I got. So I'll, we'll... I'll go ahead and add one more thing to that oh, list that I think please. will be hot. Uh, clean energy. Uh, specifically in Missouri, the Grain Belt transition, Transmission Line, it looks like it's finally set to start uh, being built. There were several legislative attempts to stop it from being able to use eminent domain to build, I, th I think it was a several hundred mile transmission line 
uh, over from Kansas to Indiana, running right through the northern part of Missouri. The courts couldn't stop it. The legislators couldn't stop it. So I think that's uh, all clear to start being built. And as there's more of a push from the federal level to put more money into clean energy, um, Missouri is going to be well forced to start looking at this, especially with the Grain Belt Transmission Line, as to what role uh, we can play in any more clean energy projects. But still no Hyperloop, right? Still no Hyperloop, All right, well, sadly. Keep us updated. <laughs> All right. I want a Hyperloop funded by a small modular nuclear reactor. That would be <laughs> fantastic. With about a 1 in 100 chance that something goes wrong and you just either get to the other side of the state quickly or you're completely immolated in a small nuclear explosion. <laughs> it's all you, about compromise, right? Right, right. That's, <laughs> that's what I think Missouri, Missouri needs. Put some excitement into our hyperlooping. All right. Uh, so wrapping up over the next week, Jacob, what are you looking forward to? What are you keeping tabs on? What am I keeping tabs on? The infrastructure bill in the Senate. Coriana. As always, David and I are on the lookout for all these TIF projects and other economic development subsidies that are happening throughout the state. So we have a couple that we are looking at and keeping tabs on right now and just trying to make sure that taxpayer dollars aren't spent in a way that they should not be. And David, before we get your answer, uh, and you can be as forthcoming as you'd like, um, you have a little bit of a weekend to get through, right, before you have the luxury of looking into next week. Right. My, my my wife is traveling with friends right now, end of this weekend, this weekend, and I've got innumerable soccer games and volleyball games and field hockey games and father, father-son high school nights and high school football game cross country meets i've got a, i've got a, a crazy crazy weekend if i hopefully i'll be here on monday with my sanity and when you're here on monday what will you be keeping tabs you know in kansas city right now there's an uh, ordinance being considered to amend how they do community improvement districts or sids in kansas city and while it's not sids are primarily done by state law so i don't think they would be able to just outlaw sids in kansas city which would be great although they could refuse to enact them so they could essentially do that. But this ordinance is making some some changes to requiring more public representation on SID boards, uh, actually instituting a fine for SIDs that don't file proper financial reports to put a little a stick to the, the carrot, and making sure that they get those budgets and financial reports in time, on in time, and also some, some other changes to, to make sure that somebody who owns a property for a long time and then goes for a tax subsidy like a SID because it's blighted, well, they, they can't get the tax money if they're the ones who caused the blight on their own property, which is something St. Louis saw on the, the, the Central West End Whole Foods uh, special taxing district where the developers had owned that land for a long time and then claimed it was blighted so they needed a tax subsidy. And Show Me Institute, we did a video on that. We're like, well, you, right, you blighted the property. Like, this is your land for a long time. You let it go like this. So they're making some great changes to SIDS in Kansas City, and uh, we'll be weighing in on that shortly. All right, as always, plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. Jacob, Coriana, and David, thank you very much.